You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Dubis is sitting there. He's saying, look, if you want Gensel, I want the Giroux deal. I mean, I think it goes without saying the type of player Morgan is. He's a um, pretty exemplary uh, guy. A lot of tech to test determined. That was a lot. What is it that you want to see the rest of this game? I want to see shots, shots, shots. Okay. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Second day in a row, intern Jag. Good morning to you as well. Good morning. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler. They pay the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. You can visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Wait for it. Kintec. Too much? No. Nice. We got a big show. I always say this. Jason gives me a hard time. But I mean it every single time. Some more than others. Uh, we get our guest list underway at 6.30. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us. 7.30, final hit for now with one of our favorite NFL insiders, Nick Shook from NFL.com. Uh, 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor is going to call uh, join us because he's on the call tonight. Canucks are back in action. Canucks, Blackhawks, 5.30 from Chicago. The last of a five-game road swing before they head home to exact revenge against Jake Wallman and the Detroit Red Wings. I'm really looking forward to that, by the way. Uh, So we will talk to Batch ahead of tonight's game. A reminder, pregame, postgame, and the actual game, it's all right here on Sportsnet 650. It's a game day. We have a lot to get into. So again, working quickly in reverse on the guest list. 8 o'clock, Batch. 7.30, Nick Shook. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski. No giveaways today, but that still means that you should send in what we learn because it's still a chance to be on the radio. Dunbar Lumber text line. 650-650, 650-650, what did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know, hashtag it, WWL, send them in. Uh, without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Day off yesterday for the Vancouver Canucks. There will be a morning skate, 9.30 our time this morning. As mentioned, puck drop, 5.30. Biggest news since it was a day off yesterday, Carson Soucy goes to IR. Jet Wu recalled from Abbotsford to join the big club in Chicago. Yeah, as you mentioned, they'll have... Yep, okay, there it is. It's early for that. Uh, As you mentioned, they'll have a game day skate this morning. Um, So we might see at that point if there are any changes to the lines or the lineup. Zadorov still has a game left on his suspension. Um, So we'll also see how long this call-up lasts for Jet Wu. Sunday in Washington, there was only one true healthy scratch 
because Susi was listed and Zadorov was listed, and that left Sam Lafferty. Um, Mark Friedman got his way back into the lineup to replace Zadorov. He played fairly limited minutes, but you know we didn't talk about him afterwards. So that's a good thing as yep. the Canucks won in overtime. He was out there. Once Zadorov is back for Thursday's home game against Detroit, and presumably Friedman is back in the press box, the Canucks could still carry eight defensemen and just one extra forward. But let's cross that bridge once we get to it. Uh, Tonight's opponent in Chicago. The Canucks will be favored, and that is... (laughs) That is obvious. Uh, The Blackhawks are terrible, and they can't score... They actually scored three three goals against the Rangers the other day in a 4-3 OT loss. That's a pretty good result for them. And, uh, you know, poor Luke Richardson, who's the head coach in Chicago, was kind of like, we haven't gotten the results most nights, but I think we're inching closer every time. It's tough. They're uh, in participation ribbon mode at this point. It's yeah. Tough. Uh, so the Canucks have a very good opportunity to improve to 3-1-1 one, and one on a five-game road trip that we said was going to be a tough road trip, and maybe they'd face some adversity. But if they finish 3-1-1 one, and one on this road trip, um, we probably have to talk about whether or not that counts as <laughs> adversity. I mean, look, regardless of how the road trip <laughs> ends up, things went wrong on the trip sure, right? right like or was it the, the but they, it's not like the winnipeg jets losing five in a row or anything no 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 like that, well, they, yeah in terms of wins and losses no but in terms of like they, they put up a dud in boston yeah. they had one of their defensemen suspended mm-hmm. they lost on a penalty shot in overtime in detroit and had to watch a guy gritty on their heads afterwards I'm really we looking need forward to talk to about that later because i'm i'm feeling very old about all this um and that <laughs> you've never done the gritty I've never done the gritty. Not I, once. I, I was, He's I was, tried and I failed. I was laughing because I, I was, did it in the shower the other day. I had to go to the hospital. <laughs> I was laughing the other day because I was listening to Kipper and Bourne, and and and, and oh, Ki- I saw this. And, and, and Kipper's like, uh, is is he still the mascot in Philly? And then and the guys were like, no, I, I think we gotta we gotta emphasize that gritty. Yeah, which is, is the mascot in Philly, and and the gritty. Two D's, two D's, not is, right. Is, yeah. is 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 a dance move. Like I feel like uh, a lot of us old guys are kind of like, the, what is the gritty anyway? Like is is that like the is that like the twist? <laughs> is it the not news? that old? I know that, but sometimes I feel that old. Um, yeah, well, okay. There's Chubby Checker doing the twist. Not after a goal Again? though. He should do the twist. He can do it in the intermissions, but he can't do it after he scores. (laughs) And you know what? Since we're having the, we're litigating the world's biggest decision back east of Toronto as it pertains to Morgan Riley, right? I feel like this Wallman thing has gone wildly under the radar, but we're going to bring it. But that's on Thursday. Uh, I do want to mention, just I want to reiterate just how bad the Blackhawks are. I'm not trying to jinx tonight's game, okay? Blackhawks are plus 225 on the money line. The uh, Canucks are minus 286. So going into this game, everyone understands. That the Canucks are favored, the Blackhawks are bad. They have four wins since December 9th. Four. They have four wins in their last 25 years. They can't score. Like it's not for a lack of trying, and it's not for a lack of effort, but their their lineup is so bereft of talent that you just kind of wonder who's who's gonna step up and provide something. They have 12 14 goals in their last 12 games. No Bedard, no Hall, no Athanasiu, no Beauvillier. 
And those last two guys actually matter in this conversation because they're bona fide NHL players yeah. compared to the rest of the team. Remember that some were wondering if Kuzmenko might go there as a way for the Canucks to free up cap space. He ultimately went to Calgary. Um, Bedard, you mentioned he's out. He won't play again tonight. His return from a broken jaw could come soon, though, maybe next week. Um, in the meantime, just as an aside on the Calder Trophy race, there are some pretty good young defensemen that I think should be in the mix. Um, I wonder if Brock Faber might steal the Calder. He had another from, big night last night. He, he, he's like he's he's he plays like twenty five minutes a night mm-hmm. for the Minnesota Wild, who beat Vegas last night. Um, Luke Hughes, the brother of Quinn, he has an out shot, outside shot too, especially if he can help get the Devils into the playoffs. Um, I think it's important when you've got – you can't just look at point totals, right? Especially for defensemen, both Faber and Hughes play big minutes for their teams, and you got to take that into consideration. Now, if you look at most of the sports books, Bedard is – Still the favorite to win the Calder Trophy, but the gap has closed. He mm-hmm. was a huge favorite before he had this unfortunate injury. Um, now he's still the favorite, but less of a favorite. Well, I just wonder, it's going to come down to how many games he plays at the end of the day, right? Because he's missed a considerable amount of time with the broken yeah. jaw. So the NBA... And whether or not he comes back and plays good hockey. Yeah, I mean, but that that's a good point too, right? Like if he doesn't come back and put up the same kind of point totals. I know it's not all about point totals, but you know the NBA instituted that rule this year where for a lot of their major awards there were certain minimums that you had to meet. Right. You had to play 65 games, you had to play <laughs> at least 20 minutes a night. Boy, why did they do that? I know. And then but then it became super arbitrary, right? Well, like when was if a guy plays in 64 games, mm-hmm. right? And he's the best player in the league by a wide margin. Is it because he missed that one extra game? It's it's a slippery slope when it comes to awards, but um, people have been, I know Dmitry Filipovich, of course, host of the PDO cast here on Sportsnet 650, has been talking up Brock Faber really since the beginning of the year, saying just what a huge impact he's made on a bad Minnesota team who won last night, by the way. That helped out the Canucks. I'm now doing scoreboard watching just to make sure that the Oilers and the Golden Knights don't make up any sort of significant ground on the mm-hmm. Canucks for first in the division. I want the sooner that they get locked into two and three. I know. Just that's great. That's yeah. all I want to see now. The Canucks are going to make the playoffs. I said it. I stand by it. I don't regret it. <laughs> two and three has got to be Vegas, Edmonton, in whatever way, shape, or form. I don't care who finishes second and who finishes third. Mm-hmm. I don't want either of them to fall into the wild card. Certainly don't want either of them to jump up the first and to push the Canucks down the standings. So I also want to see that series. <laughs> oh, it'd be great. You know, some people say, oh, it'll be better later in the playoffs. No, opening round of the playoffs, those two teams don't like each other. Vegas has been kind of erratic. Like, they had, coming out of the break, they had that good win against Edmonton mm-hmm. that snapped the, the win streak. Then they went and sort of mucked it out with Arizona, got a win there. And then last night, they gave up five in a loss to Minnesota. So, I mean. What else happened last night in the NHL? Well, there was a big game for both teams uh, at Madison Square Garden between the Flames and the Rangers. Very spicy affair. Uh, there were a couple different controversial moments. So, Igor Shesterkin gets his season back on track. 2 nothing shutout win. Over the Flames. So the Flames' win streak is stopped. But if you look at it, they've got to be happy with how that four-game road swing went. They came out of the All-Star break. They picked up wins against the Bruins, the Devils, and the Islanders before losing in New York to the Rangers to finish it off. Markstrom has been out of this world good. He Mm. was awesome last night. Again, 
29 saves. He, I watched the first period. Like, they should have been down 2 or 3 nothing, but he really held the fort down. And now it gets really interesting for Calgary because we've got the audio here. Freege threw it out on Saturday's Hockey Night Canada's headline segment and then reiterated it yesterday in the 32 Thoughts pod. The connection between Jacob Markstrom and the New Jersey Devils is that the Devils need a goalie. The Flames might be in seller mode and they have a goalie. Mm-hmm. And further complicating It'd things. Like, uh, do you have any more Sharon Goviches? Yeah, give us another one of those. That worked out great for us, right? <laughs> do we have the audio here, Laddie? This We'll play this because anytime I know Mark, it's been a few years since Mark, he played in Vancouver. But division rival going to Calgary, still always keep tabs on him. And a goalie move of this magnitude could be interesting. Here's Frege on the Devils and the Flames, as he put it, looking awkwardly at one another about the potential of a trade. I think the surest predictor of future events is past events. So teams know that the Flames are not crazy about this, right? So I do believe that is a major hurdle and was probably the major hurdle. And I think the package was, I think they were closer on that. I'm not 100% sure, but I think they were closer on that. It was, they weren't, it wasn't perfect, but I heard the retention was the much bigger problem, the much bigger problem. And like I had people telling me it's, it's fallen apart. It's over, but I don't know that I, I don't like to say that. Cause I've learned in this business that just because something is true one day, doesn't mean it's true the next day. But I do think the devils are looking at other possibilities now. So it, it Fridge went on to report that things got far enough down the road that Markstrom was actually approached about a potential trade. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if, I mean, it sounds like it's scuttled for now. They could always circle back on it. We're still, like, we got almost an entire month until the trade deadline. So, remains to be seen if that could happen. But it was interesting watching it last night because Markstrom was fantastic again. And the Devils did win last night, courtesy of your boy, Nico Dawes. I also want to point out the fact that we were having this conversation about trading a goalie with term midseason. Mm-hmm. You know who really was the last goalie where that happened? No. Roberto Luongo, oh, yeah. which was the trade for right. Jacob Markstrom. It all yeah. comes full circle. It's kind of wild. Um, did you have something you want to add on Well, there? I wanted to mention that New Jersey did win, and, and you mentioned that already. Uh, so Nico Dawes was in there. Um, he stopped 27 of 28 shots against the Seattle Kraken. Um, Laddie, if you were the New Jersey Devils and knowing where they stand – in the standings right now, which is four points out of the second wildcard spot. But also, if you knew that you were you had the potential to be healthy by the time you got the play got to the playoffs, if you made them, what would you do? Would you go out and would you work on a Markstrom trade? Would you keep working on it? Would you try and get UC Saros in there? Or would you roll the dice with what they got, including Nico Dawes? I'd be confident you could find somebody to fill that that role that doesn't cost the money in term that Markstrom does. If you know, like Jake Allen has lost it in Montreal. Uh he hasn't played a ton. Honestly, he's yeah. been out of the lineup he a lot. Up. He got he lit got up against... in his first game in you know weeks. So I think it was partly due to that. But I, I there's got to be a name out there that they can at least pair with Nico Dawes going forward mm-hmm. and try to salvage this goaltending tandem that they have. Because it, it's not going to be Vanacek. But the problem with him is that he's got the contract. They well, can't just bury him somewhere. So the other team I'm wondering about is L.A. And this could, in theory, affect the Vancouver Canucks. Because let's say the L.A. Kings went out and got 
Marky or let's throw another name out there, UC Soros yeah. of the Nashville Predators. And all of a sudden we get that 2-3 matchup between Vegas and Edmonton and it leaves the Canucks with the LA Kings. But you're against UC Soros and not Cam Talbot. Or David who has, Riddick. Who has predictably <laughs> like... good was last game. But like predictably like those guys have slowed down a little bit compared to what they were doing earlier in the season. Um, I just wonder if there's going to be some goaltending um, changes uh, during the season. New Jersey will obviously want to – they'll want to get a guy with term because what if they go out and spend money on – let's say Markey was a, a, a pending UFA, so he'd be a rental, mm-hmm. and they go out and get him and they spend assets and then they're like, ah, we still miss the playoffs. I right? mean, that, like, would be, that would be a damn. nightmare, right? And, yeah, that's, yeah. And, that, and there's a decent possibility of that happening because that mushy middle – in the East, it's just mm-hmm. chock full of teams, right? I think we're ready to rule Washington out of it. So team. I think Markey has two years after this, yep. and Saros has one year after this. Mark, if Markey does go to – let's say in this hypothetical world where everything gets turned upside down, Markey going to New Jersey and Saros going to L.A. would make for one of the more entertaining trade deadlines in recent memory because you're talking about not just two starting goalies but two very high-end starting goalies Mm -hmm. going to playoff bound teams or as you mentioned a new jersey team is trying to make the push right i'd be tempted if i was new jersey to stick with dawns though because it almost reminds me of the leaf situation last year when they had joseph wall there but they were so reluctant to give the young guy a shot and i know it can be tough when so much is riding on your season to oh we're gonna go with the young kid but I really think Nico Dawes has the potential to at least give them league average goaltending. I want to address another trade that's hanging out there in the ether and one that is very close to the Vancouver Canucks, given that we've talked about it on a number of occasions, even uh, prior to the Elias Lindholm acquisition, and that is Jake Gensel out of Pittsburgh. And Fridge had an update here, essentially insisting that even if Pittsburgh remains in the chase and in a playoff spot, the Gensel deal could still come to fruition. It's a long clip, so we'll let it breathe. Elliot Friedman now, the latest on the Jake Gensel situation in Pittsburgh. Obviously, Dubas is going to look at the Giroux deal as opposed to the Sharon Go- uh, the Toffoli deal because the Giroux price was a little bit higher. But Dubas is sitting there. He's saying, look, if you want Gensel, I want the Giroux deal. So he can wait. Like, everyone's looking at Gensel. And the teams who want him, they know whether Kyle Dubas waits. And a really tough weekend for the Penguins. Bad loss in Minnesota. Uh, no points against Winnipeg. So, you know, like, look, like, I think Dubas pre- is prepared to let this play out because he knows the comparables and everybody else knows the comparables too. I, to me, it's just a, simply a question of when does D- Dubas decide if he's going to do it. Now, if Pittsburgh's in the race, I still think he does it. But, you know, as I say, the math isn't very good for them. But I think everybody knows, like, that's what the Penguins are going to be asking for when the time comes for Gensel. Now, the other thing, too, Jeff, that happens here is there's going to be some teams who say, I'm not, I can't, either I'm not or I can't pay that price for any of those players. So they go and search what else they want, but those are kind of the four guys that the people who have that want or are willing to pay that price are 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 waiting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Henrique. Yeah, Adam well, Henrique dropping the end there. Oh, God, what was it about? Keep going. <laughs> Adam yeah, Henrique. Adam Henrique. He's, he's retiring. 
Uh, so I know a lot of you want to talk about um, the Morgan Riley situation and some of the comments from Ryan Reeves, who kind of sarcastically said, bring bring violence back to hockey, which we've actually kind of said too. Was sarcastically. it sarcastic? Well, in eh. some ways, you know. In, in other ways, uh, we've also realized that like violence, as bad as violence is, often makes things a lot more interesting. Yes. Um, I'm surprised in Vancouver that this gritty thing has become a thing. Um, although with how unhinged Leafs fans have become about this Ridley Grieg thing um, and with how passionate both hockey markets are, maybe I, sh- I shouldn't be surprised. But like, well, it's like me, when the Michigan first started. To me, hold on a sec. To me, those these things are fundamentally different things, right? Like Ridley Grieg. If I were the Leafs, I would have had a problem with that. I would have a problem with that because that's showing up the other team. You already had the lead. All you did was add on to the lead. Um, Now, I'm not defending Morgan Riley. I think he should be suspended, and I think anyone who thinks he should get away with that, you know, is insane. Um, Not being earnest. Yeah, like I, I, I would have gone over there and said something to him, maybe drop the gloves, but not cross-check him in the head. Okay, the gritty that Wallman did um, when he scored the game-winning goal on a penalty shot. Aren't we allowed sellies? Aren't we allowed? I thought people see. See, this is where I get confused. This is where I got confused. I thought this was America. This is this is where I get confused because I hear from all these hockey fans that say hockey players are so boring. I love a good selly. Is that not just? Does the gritty have some sort of cultural meaning that I'm I'm too old to no, understand? It's the old guy yelling at Klaus like, thing. That's what it like, is. It's I, just like the Michigan. Like, oh, how dare he do this? It's disrespectful. No, man, he's just doing something cool. Just it, let it go. It's 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 different than the Michigan because the Michigan's actually a, like a move. I'm, I'm, this is just doesn't that fall under Selly? Yes, it's a Selly. Right. Like I thought, we wanted hockey players. Like, imagine is that what's different than than Wallman doing the gritty? Like, I okay. I said yesterday, my kid uh, loved it. Hold right? on a second. What's different than kids? that than a touchdown celebration Nothing. in the NFL? Nothing. Well, it's that nobody. Uh, did, it stood out because well, look, it goes against the hockey code. So no, it's I mean, l- okay, let's look at this for what it was. Like, people no. want people want to, the Canucks to take revenge on this guy on Thursday. Yep, I mean a clean, <laughs> o- a clean. <laughs> I mean a, a clean open yeah. ice hit followed yeah. by a gritty like would be pretty back, cool. At least back in the day with Bertuzzi and Moore, you were like, "Why do you want revenge?" Uh, that guy hurt our player and one of our star players, and we didn't like this. What is it now? We want revenge. Why? Because he did the sick dance he, move. He did a little <laughs> dance after he scored on the penalty shot to win the game. The conversation's out there, though. They had it. It was one. Bex and uh, panel brought it up yeah. in the aftermath. I mean, it's it's out there. I don't. It's disrespectful. It's all, to the, the only game. reason you know it's out there, though. The only reason it's out there is because of what's going on. In Toronto, with I mean that doesn't help with the conversation, and I do mean help because the conversation in Toronto has gotten so bizarre and so toxic. But they're two completely different things. They are and they aren't because it's it's a bit naive to say that one has nothing to do with the other, right? That's I mean they're totally different like, instances, but it's the core essence of it is that guy did something that we didn't like, 
And I'll use that stupid Sheldon Keefe quote from earlier. It's like, and we have a right to respond, right? I didn't mind it. I thought it was a pretty good dance. I here's I'll tell you exactly why everyone's got a problem with it. And it's because one, and I think a lot of people are writing this, I thought the, the call for the penalty shot was weak. Yes. If we're being dead honest. It, I, I think it's it, more that that they're in. Yeah. About. And then the, the the situation that unfolded <laughs> is that when it's a one-on-one like that, it and it's a walk-off, you know, he was doing that dance and it almost like there was a spotlight on him because nobody was around him. Yeah. Everyone and it was and then the But can- he's done that before. Oh, he's doing the dance. I'm choking on my own rage. But here. you know, you know like, we, we're getting text and we need to send Walman a message. I don't even know if this is sarcastic or not. What's what's the message? A better don't, dance move. Don't yeah. celebrate after scoring the game winning goal? No. We want to see a like, moonwalk. That's the yeah. difference between Ridley <laughs> Grieg and what Walman did. Like are we not like I'm not a big fan of like the massive sellies, but I'll allow it after you score a game-winning goal. The game's over then. But you know that this is a thing. I know it's a thing. Yeah, I and just you know think it, it shouldn't be. I think I think the ultimate response should be the Canucks if they win have to respond with a better, sicker dance move. No, Something that's more the elaborate. way to do it. Yeah, that's what they got to do. I don't want this leading to a dance-off between Well, the maybe that's what it's got to be. Actually, you know, maybe I do. <laughs> Listen, we're going to discuss all of this with Greg Wyshynski uh, coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us in just a moment here. Hour one of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. The Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. Greg Wyshynski now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Wish? How is everybody? I'm still uh, fighting a cold that I picked up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry if I don't sound as I usually do. I sound like my great aunt after smoking <laughs> a pack of Marlboros. Did you pick up any of the crazy in Toronto that's mm-hmm. going on with this Morgan Riley situation? Well, I, I attempted to score at the Fan Fest an empty net goal while smiling. And Morgan Riley came out of nowhere and said, it's purge rules. And he shot me in the leg. Which I thought was a little bit, a little bit un- unexpected. But, um, you know, this, <clears throat> this is a great example of, uh, of a Rorschach test, I think, this entire thing. Because, like, some people I really love and respect – some people I've done podcasts with uh, seem to have lost their minds in the last, uh, you know, 24 to 48 hours about what they saw and what it means and what should happen. I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry to me that, like, <clears throat> there's an inherent difference between skating over and, and clubbing a guy with your stick after he scores an empty net goal 
in a way that you feel is unsportsmanlike versus something happening in the front of the net or something happening four seconds after the goal is scored or something happening when two guys, one of them being Alex Chason, are jawing at center ice after the buzzer. Like, none of the situations Leafs fans are sending me and others to say what about has anything to do with the petulant full diaper response from Morgan Riley that's going to net him a pretty lengthy suspension despite having a very clean past. Hey, Wish, how much of this has to do with the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the makeup of their team and the fact that they constantly (laughs) seem to be chasing players that will provide a pushback, you know, signing a guy like Ryan Reeves. And then, you know, you go back all the way to like, we need a guy like Wayne Simmons. And then they get Wayne Simmons. But, you know, it's, there there still seems to be this sense around the Toronto Maple Leafs that they don't in their DNA have enough pushback. So when a guy like Morgan Riley does push back, he's going to get full-throated support from a certain segment of that fan base. Right, because here's, here's the beautiful part of this, and maybe this is their come-to-Jesus moment on what this all means. They are soft, and they'll always be soft. It doesn't matter who they import. You know, they're going to get tougher because Ryan O'Reilly was there. You know, Ryan Reeves took the next shift after the Morgan Riley thing, didn't do anything. Like, they've always had this thought up there of, like, we're going to import toughness. But we're not calling you soft because you don't have Ryan Reeves under contract for like three years. We're calling you soft because you allow moments like this to affect you in such a bizarre, over-the-top, hyperbolic way that even in the moments in which you try to prove to yourselves that you're tough, you come off as even softer. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if Morgan Riley had just done the thing that he should have done, which is the usual NHL BS pantomime gloved fight that happens after every big hit you don't like, then, we, then it would have been fine. Then you've done the thing that you need to do. But the Leafs are so soft mentally that the response was, I'm going to cross-check this guy high. Mm-hmm. Now, was it as high as Perron? No. Was it rolling up his arm? Absolutely not. It was like around his neck. But the bottom line is that even in those moments in which they're trying to prove their toughness, they come off as soft because they're trying too hard. Has Sheldon Keefe lost the plot? What's the plot? I, I, I got an extension I didn't expect to get, and I'm hoping things go well. He just, <laughs> like, he just seems to be like, whether he's frustrated with his team, frustrated with the situation, frustrated with life in general, practically every post-game address I see him, he seems to be like just uh, exasperated about everything. Well, that's because you know, the, the real estate prices in Pittsburgh are quite high. So, you know, whenever he goes on Zillow. <laughs> Not compared to Toronto. going to happen next. Um, no, I mean, like, I'm sure he is exasperated because of the way that the team plays, the Jekyll, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of them. Um, I'm sure that, like everybody else, he probably saw that play and said, hey, I appreciate the response, but, you know, why use your stick, dummy? We need you. Um, but, I mean, I, I can't speak to the overall – 
gaining or losing of the locker room at this point for Sheldon Keith. He's, he's been there for so long, it, it'd be hard for him to lose it, I think, at this point. Who's the most interesting team in this Eastern Conference playoff race? The Flyers. Yeah, they're, like, they've really thrown a wrench into it, you know? Yeah, as a Devils fan, I've I've really noticed this. It sucks. <laughs> uh, it's like it's like all Devils fans are like standing under a tree waiting for an apple to drop, and then the apple just like grows more stems and just attaches itself even worse to the branch. Um, no, they're fascinating just because Torts hasn't playing really well as a team. They're getting the scoring they need when they need it, and they have so far weathered uh losing one one of their top goaltenders for the season um for the the hockey Canada investigation so like they're fascinating because they just seem like they're not going anywhere and if you ask a Devils fan or a a Penguins fan or Islanders fan we've all been waiting for them to go somewhere like out of the playoff picture and and it hasn't happened so that's a that, that changes the math of the wild card it changes the math, uh, maybe for the trade, the trade deadline for a lot of teams, and, and maybe them included. But they've been they've been by far the biggest surprise in the league, I think. Um, all due respect to Vancouver, that, and they're not going anywhere, which is again just really really shocking. Do you expect the Devils to make a, a goaltending move before the trade deadline? <clears throat> well, it certainly seems like they're open to it, based on what Elliot said over the weekend with the Jacob Markstrom. Flirtation. I mean, that could just be trying to gauge things for the off season. I don't know. Like internally, they like their goalies a lot more than we do. Like they, they think that between Dawes and Schmid and, and Vanacek, they could get, they could get they could get enough goaltending to make the playoffs. Now, I don't think that means they have enough goaltending to win a championship, and it may not even mean they have enough goaltending to make the playoffs. But uh, but it's clear that like their approach to this season is a little bit different than than a lot of of teams in the sense that, like, things have happened that are out of their control, losing Hughes for the time they lost him, losing Hamilton for the majority of the season. You know, like, a lot of teams are going to be able to survive losing their best defenseman for almost all the season, and the Devils have, have had that happen to them. And also, you know, maneuvering the, the landscape with, with two great young rookies in, in Luke Hughes and Simon Nemish. So, like, I feel like there's probably in the back of their minds – this thought of like maybe it's a mulligan season mm-hmm. if we make the playoffs great if not we've got some runway in front of us which i know is a, a specious way to think in this league because you never know how, how long your window's open but like if you were going to make that bet that you're going to get another crack at this and maybe it's just not in the cards for you this year the devils would probably be the team that could make that bet is hamilton expected back if they make the playoffs like when, what's his timeline there I think his timeline pushes past the first round, but I've always been, I've always been suspicious that they think he could come back. And, and I say that with a little bit of, of uh, informed speculation in the sense of like, when I, when I checked in on his, his cap space, they seemed hesitant to use it. And I think part of that is whoever we bring in like Chris Tanov or somebody, is not going to be as good as Dougie Hamilton if Dougie Hamilton's available. So maybe the hope, the prayer, is that you know he pulls a Cody Rhodes, re- recovers from his pec injury in record time, and uh, and then comes back and, and and plays like the last three weeks of the season. In yeah. which case he would be 
much better than anything they could bring in at the, bring in at the trade deadline. Um, we were talking about uh, Connor Bedard and the Calder Trophy because the Canucks are in Chicago tonight. Uh, Bedard won't play against the Canucks, but he could be back as soon as next week. Um, could you see anyone stealing the Calder from him, whether it's Luke Hughes in New Jersey if he helps the Devils into the playoffs or probably more likely Brock Faber in Minnesota for what he's been doing? Man, you got to be reading the NHL Awards Watch on ESPN every month, man. You know the answer to this already. It's, uh, it's the thing where we poll the actual voters. Okay. Uh, we get a couple dozen of them. And in the last edition that published, I think last week, it was actually 50-50 between Bedard and Faber. Mm-hmm. Like, Bedard had won that award unanimously in the previous two months. And because of his injury and because of how well Faber's playing, it's now 50-50. It's a dead heat for the caller. Now, will it stay that way if Connor comes back and is a point-per-game guy the rest of the way? Pro- probably not. I, mean, I still think that there's a sense of him being the best rookie. But if he comes back and he's not the same guy um, for a little bit and, and, and the lane is still there for Faber to continue to play as well as he's played, I mean, there, there is a – I mean, we, we saw it in McDavid's rookie year when he got hurt, and then, you know, I think it was Panarin ended up winning the Calder because Connor didn't have the games or, you know, he missed too much time or whatever. So I, it, it could definitely happen, and it's already – the voters are already saying it could happen because right now it's 50-50. We're speaking to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Wish – Speaking of content currently up at ESPN uh, as it pertains to the National Hockey League, you guys have unveiled the NHL positional rankings. Now, because your voice is sore, I'll do the explaining for our listeners. It's a really cool concept. You surveyed 10 players and then 10 people from hockey operations departments in the NHL, including general managers. So you got a good cross-section of both here. And you basically got them to rank the best players by position. You started it today with the defensemen. Now, the good news for Canucks fans is that Quinn Hughes comes in at number two as the second-best defenseman in the NHL among his peers and executives. I need to know this, though. Of the ballots cast, one general manager left him off the ballot (laughs) entirely. So he did not. There's a general manager out there right now that does not have Quinn Hughes in the top ten defensemen in the NHL, which I find crazy. But number one is McCarr. Number two is Hughes. What were your big takeaways from compiling the ballots for the top defensemen in the NHL? Well, the Hughes one is incredible because um, you know we do this annually, Mm -hmm. and it's I think I think it's great. Like you know we 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 read player polls, and then we read those things where like the insider emails all the GMs and gets a a one line opinion or whatever. And this is a way to kind of like combine the peanut butter and the jelly. Like we, we make one big ranking based on those two very disparate opinions. And the thing about Quinn, if you need to like underscore what an amazing year it's been, he was unranked last year. Right. In fact, he didn't appear in the top 10 of any of the ballots last year for the, the players or the executives. So that just goes to show you like what an, an incredible turnaround year it's been for him perceptionally like he's I mean he's clearly a great player but like as far as the being on his peers radar being on you know the NHL executives radar outside of one you know one guy uh it it shows that this has been a real kind of like putting your stamp on your career I am now among the elite type seasons for for Quinn 
We're talking to Greg Wyshynski on the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. Um, Wish, the Canucks just played the Washington Capitals and they beat them in overtime and Ovi scored again. Bit of a lucky goal off Nils Amon's foot, but uh, they all count and Ovi's got a good goal streak going. Um, But the conversation we've been having a little bit is... What do the Washington Capitals do to make sure the next generation of the Washington Capitals, the Ovechkinless Washington Capitals, don't fall back to where they were pre-Ovechkin? Now, I noticed some news yesterday that the Capitals and the Wizards move to Virginia might have hit a snag if it's not dead, the deal. Um, you know, I... I remember watching the Capitals as a kid, and they played in Landover, Maryland, and they always had pretty good crowds. They had pretty good teams. Um, They were part of that Patrick division, and they played in some really good games, and it seemed like they had a pretty solid fan base. They moved, and despite going after guys like Yager, they were never really a good team, and their attendance suffered as a result. I'm just wondering how much that franchise is thinking like, okay, two things – we might be moving to a fairly new area um, and we won't have Ovechkin forever. So how do we kind of, how do we make sure that everything that Ovechkin built is still healthy? Well, I mean, the, 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 the relocation is not, a, not an issue. Like they're basically moving across the Potomac river. Um, I, I used to live in, in Maryland and Virginia for, for like 10 years, like where they're moving is, very suburban, probably where a lot of the fans live any, anyway. So, like, I don't think that they are that concerned about it. Plus, it would be a new building, which I know is something that they, they want to get. Um, it would be a bummer to see them leave D.C., but I don't think that the um, – it's, it's not like they're moving to Landover again or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> as far as, like, the next phase for this team, I'm of two minds of it. One, it doesn't matter. They, that, this is not a – Kyle Dubas, I'm here to win now and also build for the next thing situation for Brian McClellan. His task is to make this team as competitive as possible around Ovechkin until he breaks the record and then you start thinking about the next thing. Oh, and by the way, if you stink after he leaves, then you just go and get another guy in the the draft. Like, like, there's not going to be another Yager trade. Like, the the, the next thing, the next phase of the Washington Capitals will probably be after two years of being as bad as the Blackhawks have been, and then they just get their next guy. Like, that would probably be the plan for them. Um, But in in the short term, the plan is to be as competitive and and relevant as they can, not only to keep fans engaged in uh, in maybe being a playoff team, but also because Ovechkin re-signed there, under the auspices of surround me with good players so I can be happy. And so I can, they can help me try to break this record. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where they are right now as a franchise. So could they be players this off season? I mean, they're going to get some cap space, I suppose, with Anthony Mantha coming off the books and, and, and patch because clearly they're not a very good team right now. And I would say if their goal is to, get Ovi the record, like get him better players to play with. Well, it's weird because like they had a ton of cap space heading into the deadline last year too. And I thought, I thought this last off season was going to be them, 
you know, utilizing all of it. And then they ended up re-signing like three-fourths of their UFAs, which I thought was a really weird flex. But um, maybe maybe the knowable and comfortability ultimately won out there. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they, they'll keep pushing. They'll keep trying to, you know, get the best talent they can. And in that, in that case, you know, maybe they do try to find ways to acquire some younger players that, to kind of grow along with the last few years of Ovechkin being there. But, you know, as far as like the, the grand scheme next phase of the Capitals, like I don't think they're going to do anything really towards that end until Ovi retires, unless they get incredible, you know, lottery luck. Wish, uh, thanks for doing this today, man. I know you're playing hurt, so we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, rest up, get well, enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next week. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks. That's Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. That was hilarious what Wish was saying about the Leafs. I, I, I think this is this this Morgan Riley situation is is a lot bigger than this. It's a lot one. more than him cross-checking a dude in the face. It's going to sink him. It's going to sink them. No. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot at play here, right? There's the Sheldon Keefe angle, which, I mean, I mean I've never seen a coach – come across as awkward and poorly in a mo- in a moment than this cuz it does none of it none of it makes any sense it is the biggest deflection in eight different ways yeah he's going down the conspiracy theory angle now i, I mean you know at a certain point i genuinely wonder if he just doesn't know what to say so he's just trying to say whatever will get this over and done with like to suggest that the Toronto Maple Leafs are somehow under the microscope from the NHL and Department of Player Safety more than another team. You know, those are for a profession. And by that, I mean, head coaches who are always talking about accountability and to keeping Gary on house to deflect and to make this about everyone else other than your own team is crazy to me. Now, yeah. I, that's what coaches I, yeah, that, do, though. That's, that's what Canucks do. fan stuff. That's we're, right. we're the conspiracy guys. That's our thing. Yeah. Coaches are supposed to take the heat and deflect it off their players, though. He's just trying to do what a coach is supposed to do. I don't think this is it. I really don't. All he needed to say was... I didn't say he was succeeding. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do wonder, on a certain level, if he just doesn't know what to do with this situation. Right? Because... He's got a guy. I mean, the dynamic is so bizarre. They brought in Ryan Reeves to wipe out this sort of narrative, which is which is dumb because it has to come from the DNA of the team. It can't come from one player. You can't import team toughness by importing one player. So they're trying to make this sound like this is about action and reaction. And that's it. But it's very clear that, in, in, you know, Kipper and Bourne went down this road yesterday. There's a lot more going on with this team than a mere, like, oh, there was a moment with Ridley Greg, Grieg, and then there was a reaction from Morgan Riley. There's frustration there. There's a lineage. And Keith went down the road by acknowledging that he thought that there was a history here about Leafs players being unfairly um, sort of spotlighted or targeted by the league. So it's not just about an action and a reaction, as he put it. There's a long history here that goes into this. And I want to, I mean, you know, we'll do this on the other side because we're up against it for time. But as it pertains to Wallman in the gritty and the Canucks, 
I think there's a conversation to be had here that needs to be had that goes beyond do you need to beat a guy up or does there need to be retribution? I think it needs to be more complex than that. We will do that on the other side. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.